Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. October 1st. Wow. Where has the time gone? It's a little bit cool today. The gardens are showing a little bit signs of maybe some of the frost. I know our pumpkin patches outside here, they were hit by a little bit of a coolness, exposing those pumpkins that were hidden nicely underneath. Yes, we had to put big hands on there yesterday and a lot of hands to get some of them picked so that... uh, being revealed so much. Yes, the deer around here were just chomping at the bit, kind of looking over at the golden orange colors. So we thought we would lend a hand and pick some pumpkins. October is here. The colors are bright. The sun hidden today, but we know we'll be rewarded with its glory and that the beauty that it brings in the colors. So listen, because October's bright blue weather. O suns and skies, and clouds of June, and flowers of June together, yea, cannot rival for one hour October's bright blue weather, when loud the bumblebee makes haste, belated, thriftless, vagrant, and goldenrod is dying fast, and lanes with grapes are fragrant, when gentians roll their fingers tight to save them for the morning, and chestnuts fall from satin burrs without a sound of warning. When on the ground red apples lie in piles like jewels shining, and redder still on the old stone walls are leaves of woodbine twining. When all the lovely wayside things their white-winged seeds are sowing, and in the fields still green and fair late aftermaths are growing. When springs run low and on the brooks in idle golden freighting, bright leaves sink noiselessly in the hush of woods for winter waiting. When comrades seek sweet country hunts by twos and twos together and count like misers hour by hour October's bright blue weather. O sun and skies and flowers of June, count all your boasts together. Love loveth the best of all the year, October's bright blue weather. Welcome back, everyone. We are in October, and driving in today, you can see the colors. Oh, you know what? I have to say it. I love fall. It's cozy. It's comfortable. You can layer up, and it makes working in the garden a little bit nicer when it's a little bit cooler, I must say. We're going to go right to the lines this morning. Kurt is waiting. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning, I have a, a newly planted, or this spring planted, a rose bush, and it has these uh, three and four foot shoots that I've supported. Uh, what do I do with those shoots uh, for the winter? Okay, are they? Um, they're kind of random guys that have just kind of gone whoop, right? Yes. Really large. Okay, those are water shoots. We sometimes get those in the fall when there's that excess ex- draw of moisture and everything that the plants are taking up. Um, those, I generally prune them down 
so that it doesn't take all that new energy that's in there. Um, it, your plants will probably have a better shape going into spring if they, they're not three feet or two feet above the normal shape of the, the rose bush itself. So um, we normally cut out uh, some of those water shoots. Okay. Yep, so you can prune them down a little bit that's on there. Uh, do it again when plants are in the dormancy, because right now, if they're shooting up right now, it's just uh, it's telling me that it hasn't completely shut down yet. But uh, they shot up uh, oh, in midsummer. Or oh, midsummer? Is... Oh, okay, all right. If it's midsummer, but still wait until the leaves have fallen off on your trees and your shrubs when you're starting to do your fall pruning. Okay, because they have some nice uh, rosebush buds on them yet. Well, there's we've had a nice season. They will get some roses that are on there. Um, do you know which variety of rose it is? Uh, no, I don't. It's just that it was a hardy plant. Yeah, and how high is the plant right now? Maybe well, I can ask. Uh, it, they, these shoots are, there's one that's at least four feet tall. Yeah, see, yeah, those are water shoots. I would probably enjoy the blooms on it while they last, and then once they've gone into dormancy, I would do a little bit of a pruning back on it. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Kurt. Thank you for calling. Bye. Bye-bye. It's hard to do that because we see the uh, resilience and we see the effect that fall gives us. The cooler temperatures, yes, um, sort of, tells the plants to shut down and we see the transition of the colors happening because there's no more activity so some of those starches are are starting to go back into the plants but i love that this transition of color to some of the trees and shrubs out there is beautiful so yes your roses too will also get some beautiful rose hips on them so maybe if you really want to uh kurt if you don't want to prune back in the fall you can definitely leave those blooms if they're going to develop into some hips, if there's enough room. Because sometimes the rose hips themselves uh, are an added benefit for some of our birds overwintering. And they look beautiful if they mature into a style of orangey-red color tones, which is beautiful for fall. Even in winter, they will hold on there for you. All right, we're going to go right back to lines. Diana's on hold. Hi, Diana. Hi. Hi, good morning. Uh, I forgot to ask Kurt where he was calling from, so I don't want to forget to ask you. Altona. Altona. Well, hello, everyone in Altona this morning. <laughs> yes, I um, I have little tiny white flying insects on my hibiscus. Um, they started actually last year around Christmas time, and I've been battling them ever since. I put them outside for the summer. And they seem to be doing okay outside. Now I brought them just into the garage to transition, and they're back. So we have done malathion, we've done home sense, we've done safer soap, and they're just not leaving. Okay. Yeah, if, they are, if they're not aphids, and aphids you can tell because they're a little bit more um, thicker bodied, the little white flies, they're actually when they close their wings, they almost look like little white, tiny little white little things that are in there. White flies is a bug. It is prone to hibiscus. That's uh, They love it. They're a, sick, um, they're a sucking insect, so they like to um, go after the leaf structure. It is a little bit of a battle. Uh, they harbor on the undersides of the leaves. So if you're flipping some of your leaves, you're going to probably see your higher, highest population on the undersides. Yeah. And 
if you see the leaves that are most yellow, those are the ones that are going to have the higher concentration that's on it. Um, I'm going to tell you that they have a cycle of laying eggs and their egg sacs, when you lift the leaf over it, it almost looks like dried up clear uh, water droplets that are on there. So you almost have to target those areas. And when you're spraying, spray the undersides of the leaves heavier than the tops of the leaves. Okay, yeah, we've been trying to do that because they're un- underneath, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and some leaves are just thick with, with them, you know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah they have a, and yet, you know, some I have two, a yellow one and a pink one, and sometimes they have up to 14 blossoms at a, at a shot, you know. Oh, beautiful. So it's not bothering the blossoms, but uh, my yellow one, the leaves are mostly all yellow now. Yeah, they're... Um... Yeah. Um, what you can do is the, there's kind of a battle because if you encourage growth and you encourage nitrogen on it, the bugs are thinking they're giving us more nutrients. <laughs> it's good for them. But um, uh, what can I say? If you've tried with melathion, that's pretty strong treatment that's on it. I don't know if they're, um, if melathion, it's good for a lot of bugs, but I would have to confer with my, my business partner here who's got his egg and uh insecticides to see if it's actually a product that is actually um really effective on white fly i can ask that if you want to leave your number we could do that but it's almost a regime of using uh endol like endol may be able to help you but it's almost a cycle that you have to do as a repeat over and over again because you have to break the cycle from the adult laying the egg and then the leg the egg, sorry, not the leg, the egg maturing and then creating more egg sacs. So it's a, kind of that regime where you have to say, okay, I'm going to spray and then uh, do a rinse and then spray in a rinse. So you have to kind of keep diligent on that to try and keep that population going down, okay? Okay, and, and what was that that you used? Endol. It's not... E-N-D-O-L? Uh, E-N-D-A-L-L. And it's a product that you can use in the house. Like, is your is it big enough that you could take it into the shower? Yes. Okay. So if you want to, here's to everyone. If you want to wash off your um, stuff that's coming in, and you are, you know, you, if it's cooler day and you don't want to get the garden hose out, put a plastic bag over the soil. I like to actually put the whole bag, uh, the whole pot in a black bag, and tie it tight so no water gets onto the soil. Because we don't uh-huh. want soil going down the drain. No. Um, <laughs> put your plants in the shower. And if you have one of the little shower heads that you can blast off yep. uh, and rinse it all off and do an aggressive spray that's on it, that would be part of the regime cycle. And your plants are going to love it because even in the wintertime, houses are dry. Give it a blast of water sure. and it uh, sometimes misting with a little hand mister, just isn't enough to give it that humidity that's around it. So a nice good shower is very beneficial. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay. I will try. I will try that. Thank you yep. so much. You're very oh. welcome. You're very welcome. Okay. Bye bye. Th- bye bye. And if you have smaller plants, sometimes too as well. Uh, if you don't take them into shower, sometimes you can put a plastic bag around the pot and dunk it in a pail of water because bugs don't like. They're like us. We can put our head underwater for a little period of time, but not for a long time. Now, we're talking about plants coming indoors. I know Nor- Nor- uh, I think Norris is on the line. Hang on two seconds. We'll be right with you. I just want to get this 
out. If you think that you're, um, if you don't have bugs or that you don't know if you're going to get bugs, try and do the treatment just as Diane is sort of doing now because preventative measures ahead of the game will help. So if you are bringing some of your plants indoors that have been outdoors, um, I'm going to say good idea to do a treatment prior to bringing it in. Do it on a nice sunny day that you can uh, do a wash off outside if the hose is still outside and it's too soon to put the hoses away. And give yourself a little bit of regime and then start your regime right away because it's a little disheartening if you bring it in and you leave it for about a month or two and all of a sudden you notice that you have this infestation. It's easier to deal with it at the beginning than to have it more of a bigger problem. An indicator that you are having some bugs on some of your plants if you're indoors is uh, occasionally you will say, why do I have this sappy residual on the floor or on the table? Sappy residual coming around areas where there are plants is an indication that you may have a bug problem. Now on certain other plants like your ficus benjamina, uh, on the undersides of the leaves, sometimes they do have a little bit of a, it looks like a, a circle that's right at the tip of the leaf. And some people may think that that is a, uh, a bug, but it's not. It's actually a, a sort of a spore hole that it kind of weeps sometimes some fluids from there. So that's totally different. But if you have this pasty stickiness that to your plants, you may want to take a closer look because you may have brought in a little bit of aphid action on there. All right, we're going to go right to Norris. Hi, Norris. How can we help you? Good morning. Norris? Uh, this is Dave. Oh, it's Dave? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I have the wrong name. Hi, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> How can we help you on the uh, Lawn and Garden Journal? Uh, uh, well, I'm calling here from Erickson, Manitoba, and uh, we've had some frosts, and I'm a little concerned about my dahlias. Um, I, they had a good touch of frost, and um, I'm wondering if I pulled them out, and I'm wondering if I should, did I pull them out early, or should they have had a real good frost until they turn brown down to the root? Well, some areas, they will continue to grow even if they've had a little bit of a light frost that's on there. They will give you that. Uh-huh. But you really, um, they will have a, they'll continue to grow slightly on their bulb set that's on there even if they have a, a heavy frost. But the one thing that I recommend not doing is cutting them and then waiting for to dig them up afterwards. Because sometimes if you open and you cut some of the branchings off, some of the... Um, some of the main stems are hollow in the center, which will allow moisture in the frostness to go down. It's just one right. of those little things that I find. But if it's if it's had a frost or a light frost that's on it, it's probably soon that you can start giving those a lift. Well, they're they're kind of shriveled up. They turned brown, except the the, the stem is pretty hollow, uh, and uh, the bulb is pretty strong together. Now, do you do you recommend washing the bulb out to get the mud off and then drying them out, or? Uh I would probably, well, there's two trains of thoughts because some people like geraniums like to leave their plants in soil, but I generally like to clean uh, the bulbs off and give them that cleansing and let them dry because you don't know if there's um, any little creatures that are staying in the soil that could like to um, munch away on some of your bulbs over the winter or just it kind of cleanses the area too uh, and storing them in a cool location. All right, but store them dry, okay? Store them dry. Now, do you have to have any kind of sulfur dust to uh, cover them up with? 
If you have sulfur dust, that would be a beneficial thing to put on it because that is a good uh, sort of uh, medicinal thing to help against blight and fungus and that kind of stuff. Right, okay? right. Yeah. Now, would you recommend that for, like, uh, I've gathered all our onion bulbs in and garlic. Now, store them. I've usually stored them in the brown paper bag. It's just in a garage to keep them cool. Uh, sometimes the odd one has a spoil. Now, do you, uh, could you use sulfur dust for them? As yeah, well. you could put yeah for next spring's planting. You could put a little sulfur dust on them too as well. Okay, okay. okay well, I guess uh, I guess that'll answer my question anyways, and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll deal with the dahlias, and uh, should work okay, I guess. Okay, well, it sounds like you got a little work to do today. <laughs> yes, we sure do. Thanks very much. Enjoy your program. You, oh, thank you very much, and uh, hello to everyone in Erickson. Alrighty, bye bye. Okay, bye bye. There are that. We are now seeing that, yes, we've had a little bit of a reprieve. We had a couple people that actually have come in the uh, the last couple days that said the weather's so nice. I know I should be in the garden, but I just need a day or two just to take it all in and enjoy it. So some days, yes, you want to just sit back and enjoy the garden. Don't always make it about the work. But in some instances, gardeners don't think of being in the garden as work. It's one of those regimes that you're looking at, you think that it's enjoyment, it's peace. It's a break from your mindset. Gardening is good, even in the fall. Now, when you're doing your regime, Dave's going to be lifting up his dahlias. Um, Also think about your gladiolas, uh, your caladiums. Those all should be coming up and your calla lilies too as well. So these are all bulb sets that if you're thinking that you want to overwinter them, it's time to sort of start thinking about that. In other areas too, the next conversation that I sort of want to have is harvesting. Harvest is happening. We had a little conversation about our pumpkin patches here that have uh, been hit by a little bit of frost in certain areas that we've harvested, now we can store them. And I'm looking at uh, one of the apple trees that are out here. I brought uh, the granddaughters, Ruby and Violet, out. And it gave them a little bit of a, uh, we call it a little bit of a rebel action because it was their first little introduction of sort of harvesting apples. It gives me a little bit of a chuckle because my grandparents used to always lift the grandchildren up into the tree to help them pick the apples. So lo and behold, I have to say, Mom, I wasn't lifting up the girls into the tree. And a little bit of a rebel, if our kids are, I did it old-fashioned. I backed up the truck right into the tree. And up, lo and behold, these two little girls were giggling and picking apples. Yes, one happened to fall, maybe hit one of them on the head. But hey, it only makes you stronger. But think of the apple and getting your harvesting done, getting your grapes off getting your apples picked and it depends on your apple variety that you've got because we do have some late blooming or late fruiting ones so if you have september ruby maybe it's not the time to pick it if they're not completely ripened or if you're in an area where you're not going to have frost yet maybe leave them on a little bit longer but the apples that are picked are great do your culinary aspect my mouth is already watering for apple crisp the ones that are on the ground. This is a reminder that you do not want to have apples laying on the ground for a long period of time. This is a dinner bell 
for your apple maggots to start going into the ground and overwintering there. And then that will become a cycle of the bug going into the tree and again uh, causing uh, damages in your fruit. So pick up the apples that are on the ground. If they're bruised, there's a portion of it that can probably be used. If it's not good, maybe it's a good thing that you can add it to the compost. Yes, composting can go all winter long. So the grapes are coming off, the apples are coming off. And have you tried growing pears? Yes, there are some small pears that can be grown in our zone. There was a lady in this week that said that she had some um, cutest little pears that she brought in. She wanted to know what they were because they just brought the bought the property. And yes, there's pears. So you've got some fruit that are happening and maybe canning and making some apple pies. And I just swung around and saw outside that the nursery here looks beautiful with the color contrast from reds to yellows, golden oranges, and even some of the larch are starting to show their color tones that are out there. It's beautiful. If you have a chance to get out into the nature and maybe even into some of their outer properties, uh, some of the farm areas, the colors on the trees are just fantastic. Just to the north of us, we have an elderly lady that lives on a property, very sweet lady, and I have to say, I feel enticed to go over onto her property and see what type of maple she has growing in her property. It is flaming red. It is beautiful, and I don't know if it's just because of the year, but it is intensely red that's in there. So have you thought about, and here's just a little bit of a crux that's in the question, Does your property have fall color? Is there intensities of reds that are in your area? Because we are able to get some of those reds in our our properties, which really make it so warm that's on it. So some of the plants that you may think about, if you're looking at planting or focusing on getting some papa color that's in there, Try some of your cranberries or viburnums. They will give you some of that instant kind of color tones that are in there. Some of the Amir maples. Yes, a lot of people are loving the Amir maples and even hot wing maples. Now you're going to go, what is a hot wing maple? Well, the hot wing maple varieties are, the foliage will go a, a golden color, but it's the seed heads that are on those maples that give that intensity. It's almost these winged red clusters that dangle off of this tree that really give it its beauty that's on there. Another one that I really love that's not red, but it has a really delicate leaf is in the sumac family or the golden elders. They give you beautiful color that's intense. And even think about your uh, fruiting types. Blueberries will also give you a little bit of that and Saskatoon's. So I love it. And if you're thinking of planting some plants that have the, uh, uh, maybe if you're looking for something that is in the vining area that really works well with colors that can intertwine, Engelman's Ivy and Virginia Creeper. Hardy vines, intense red, a little bit of berry, but the berry that's on it is not edible for us. But the the birds love them and you'll probably see that just like some of your grapes that you've been planting some of the birds will probably get them even before you even see them 
But the intensity of this, and the nice thing about the Engelmann's Ivy is if you're looking for structures that you want privacy through chain link fencing, or if you want something that is able to climb up and over a trellis or a pergola to give you increased shade. And this is one thing that if shading is probably a discussion that we will probably talk about a little bit more for planting shade trees is if we find that our temperatures are getting a little bit warmer and warmer, we will want to put uh, structures as in canopies to help shade and shade is going to become very important. So when was the best time or when is the best time to plant a tree? Yep, you've heard it before. That was probably 20 or 30 years ago. When is the next best time to plant a tree? Well, right now. And planting trees and shrubs in the fall is very beneficial. Think of it. In the spring, we're eager to get in the garden. We're planting. But the ground beneath could be a little cooler. Yes. It's like a tickle on your toes. Oh, it's still a little cold. In the fall, it is welcomed for the trees and shrubs and perennials to go in the ground. The ground is the last thing that freezes up. The air goes cold first. It gives you that crispness. But as you crack your shovel into that ground, yes, we've done it late. We've even done it late October and early November where we crack that soil and that steam comes up above. So just imagine those roots of those trees and shrubs being planted in the ground, getting that nice insulation of snow on top, and you get that extra instant impact for the following year. It's beneficial. It goes that way. Now, if you want to give me a shout, the lines are open. 1-800-374-3315. So trees and shrubs, if you're planting for fall color, call to action. Visit your garden center. See what they got. It may You may be inspired. Now, if you're looking at different types of areas that you're wanting to do, at the same time that you're inspired to plant, remember to do your walkabout in the yard. Remember to look for trees that maybe have uh, branches that are dead. And it's easy to see that when you have leaves on them. But at the same part, uh, part see if there's any cross branches of new br- uh, branching or maybe those Uh, water shoots that are up and going to cause uh, rubbing action from one to another, opening up uh, sores, which then will compound to opening up and bringing in diseases and maybe bug entry. So those are things that you may want to spot. Sometimes too, I know that we're not going to be pruning right away, but a little bit of flag tape or a little tape or something that you can mark those because as the trees lose their leaves, you may lose the identity of the branch that is alive or that is dead. So the other thing that you can do, if you've not tagged it, you can do a little bit of a scratch test, and that's by taking a sharp uh, blade or your pocket knife, scratching on the outer cambium or the bark to see if their branches are actually really effectively alive, and then you can do your pruning. Remember, if you're using secateurs or your loppers, loppers are something that you're going to go about an inch or so above, If you're getting into larger limbs, yep, you're going to have to get out that that saw and do a little bit of sawing on there. Some people like to use pruning paste. Naturally, if a tree is to have a broken limb, it will heal itself. It kind of bubbles and creates its own scarring effect that's on it. 
If it's a very large wound, you may want to do a little bit of a pruning paste just to prevent the bugs from getting in it. But for small snippets or those water shoots, no, you don't need it. Just a really good pair of sharp pruners and loppers. Keep your tools in good shape and they will help you with when you need to do it, that you're not splitting, you're not fraying openings on your cuts. Keep them nice, neat, and clean. That's what it's all about, right? Picking up the apples, nice, neat, and clean. Now, have you started thinking, we've talked about fall planting of trees and shrubs. What about fall blooming perennials? Have you seen perennial garden beds that now are coming into focus, that they transition into those color tones? Sedum, beautiful. It gives you that late color. If you don't know what sedum is, the most popular one that I kind of like to see is in the sedum autumn joy color tones that looks like, as the kids will tell me, it looks like broccoli that's on it, but it has that rubbery resistance and the bees and your insects at this time of year love it because it gives them that extra food that's on it and it gives you tones from soft rose, intense, deep pink colors and some of the, your low ground creepers, sedum, blazefolda, turning that deep red for carpets red that could be in the garden. Solidago, yes, naturally, bright yellow, focus. Rudabecchias, with their daisy welcoming, as, um, I was ready to say the next one, but the rudabecchias, so sunny, but they give that intense yellow. Asters is where I was going to next. Colors of deep purples that are on the color palette. And probably one of the ones that's really sold out for me is Peroskiva, if I say it, or Russian Sage. Intense steel blue colors on silver foliage. You gotta check them out, guys. And it's nice to be able to venture to your garden center, see where you're gonna go and see what is in bloom for those fall colors. And right now, Let's see what Helen's waiting for. Good morning, Helen. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Good morning. I'm good. How can we help you today? Yes, I would like to plant some cone hydrangeas Yep. in our front yard, and it'll be full sun. Can they take that? Yes, they can take it. I find that most hydrangeas uh, prefer to have more sun than deep shade. They have a better performance. The only thing is, Helen, when you're planting a hydrangea in full sun, you have to monitor the amount of moisture that it's getting. If mm-hmm. it's a, if you know that it's an area that has um, more moisture, or if it's close to a downspout, it's going to get some more direct feed of moisture that's on it. They'll if it's in an area that's in full sun, and it's in a little drier site, it's going to tell you that because it's going to get a little wilty on you, and you're going to go, oh, I need to put some more moisture on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, they do well. And as an example, if you've ever... Where are you calling from? Just Mitchell. Mitchell? Yes. Well, hello to everyone in Mitchell. Okay, I'm going to use an example. Sometimes uh, if you visit us on our uh, Instagram or Facebook, sometimes I have posted our uh, hydrangea vanilla strawberry. And it's normally... At, I'm saying normally because we had to move it this year. Uh, it's normally at the west entrance of our building. And it gets sun from 7 a.m. to dawn. Mm-hmm. And it is glorious. 
And if anyone has visited us, they can call in. You can be the testament to what I'm saying right now. Mm-hmm. But it is a, a cone-shaped blossom, starts off pure white, uh, large blooms, and then it frosts off into a soft pink at the bottom. And as the soft pink radiates to the upper cone, it gets an intense, deeper pink on the bottom. So it tells you that it could take full sun, and once it's established and it's getting its moisture, beautiful. All right? So and okay, there's a, thank you. Yeah, so you're okay. saying they're white to start and then they become pink? Yes, they're white oh. to start and they slowly change to a pink. And, of course, in autumn they will get that um, sort of that soft, almost like paper bag type color that's to them, but then mm-hmm. we know that fall is right here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we were just in southern Ontario, and the the hydrangeas, the, those ones down there, they're just prolific, and it was they were great to see. So I thought, well, I'm going to try some. Well, if you if you looked or if you drove around this year, uh, we had made comments before that this year was the year of the hydrangea. The amount mm-hmm. of moisture that we had, I'm sorry, but there were some people that were so affected by it, but. The positive side of it was when we looked at our hydrangeas in our gardens. Mm-hmm. They loved it. Hydra, mm-hmm. hydra, water. So right, they like right. that moisture. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And well, thank you co- very much then. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Okay, thanks. All right, bye-bye. When we go to the hydrangea of, uh, sort of family, uh, we carry a, normally carry a large selection here, but they're generating more and more hydrangeas that are absolutely stunning. And I must say, uh, if you missed me mentioning a few weeks ago on one of the shows, I was actually out at Jeffrey's Nursery this uh, fall, and I saw some of their field trials on some of their hydrangeas. My fingers were tickling because they were beautiful. So next year, watch out. Hydrangeas, here we go. Beautiful in structure, heights. So if you were thinking of planting a hydrangea, think of the landscape development of where you're wanting to put it. Some of them will go quite tall, four or five feet, and then you can actually get smaller varieties that will maybe go three feet tall that if you have a smaller lot or a smaller property, you can still have a hydrangea. It will look and scale to your design. Or if you have a very large lot, put the large ones to the back and transition to maybe those smaller ones that are at the front that will give you that visual depth to those beds. Yes, it's a win-win. That's on it. All right. That's beautiful. I, You know what? I love hydrangeas. I'm sorry for my rant on it, but it, it is totally a beautiful flower to have. And when I mentioned that they have this papery kind of feel to them afterwards, why not leave some of them up for winter interest? And we talk about winter interest in the garden because our gardens don't stop. Ornamental grasses give us that prairie effect or that wispy effect with movement. And movement in the garden is important. Have you ever stopped to look at the sway of grasses in the fall? Those seed heads that stay up in the, in the wintertime, they're pretty. They catch the horror frost. They give you that different effect. It's that beauty and texture hopefully we don't get dumped on and we get six feet of snow so our gardens are gone but when we do see glimpses of them they're pretty it adds to it but now those same hydrangea heads if you have lots of them 
dry them. The biggest thing going right now are pompous grass and seed heads and grass heads for bringing indoors for vases. Yes, there's a trend that we're taking on and bringing ornamentals and drieds into our home to give that warmth look. These will add to it. Hydrangea blossoms right now, you can either leave them and let them slowly dry off and give them that dried effect. Why not make a wreath out of them? Wow, that would look beautiful too in combinations. So there's a little bit of a crafter. Okay, maybe I'm leading into something here. That's a crafter thing that you want to do. Uh, I did mention to them on the radio that uh, if you're in my neck of the woods, we have a very small, cozy little craft market happening between 10 and 2 here. So maybe you'll be coming out and sort of seeing if they've made some hydrangea blossoms or what they have on their tables here. It's a little bit of sharing business and welcoming friends in and making a community. It's all about having fun, and we're having fun this weekend. Now, if you started, and I'm going to give you the thoughts to start with the target of where we're going for our gardens. Have you started cleaning up your garden yet? Maybe not, but that's a conversation to be had too. Thank you for listening. Just think of all those colors, beautiful mums on display. Create something for Thanksgiving. Very welcoming. And if you're in my neck of the woods, come and see our crafters market, 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Bye-bye, everyone.